Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. So the VRAR Global Summit hits Vancouver this week with experts converging in one of the world's largest ecosystems for this VR sector. Now, VRAR Vancouver chapter president Dan Berger, he's going to delve into what makes this city a unique place for businesses developing this technology. Then a little later on, retail insiders Craig Patterson, he's going to break down all the latest industry news, including Costco's journey into becoming the country's second largest retailer and whether Sobe has actually found a way to kind of rival Amazon Go. That is the cashierless stores that that big tech giant has been launching the past year. Uh, Before we get to those interviews, though, I just want to mention an upcoming event on November 6th at UBC Robson Square. That is BIV Talks Post-Election with our editor-in-chief, Kirk LaPointe. He's going to be moderating a panel featuring Mario Canseco from Research Co., Brittany Kerr from Earnscliffe Strategy Group, and Scott Lamb from the Conservative Party of Canada. Then on November 13th at the Fairmont Waterfront, it is BIV's BC CEO Awards. For more details on all those events, go to BIV.com slash events. Now let's kick it off with our interviews. And with us now to talk about all the latest retail industry news, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. He's also the host of Retail Insider's new podcast. Craig, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank you for having me back. So you've got a story up that's getting a lot of traction over at Retail Insider. Essentially, at Costco, you're tracking its journey to becoming Canada's second largest retailer. I'm wondering, what is jumping out to you as maybe the key to its success ever since it launched in Canada all those years ago? Yeah, I mean, I know that this is a tough time for a lot of retailers, but it doesn't seem to be for Costco. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a membership-based club, which means you to shop there, you for the most part need to have a membership card. Um, it's got all kinds of different categories of items. It continues to expand, and it's it's growing like crazy. You know, it's, it's become the second largest grocery retailer in the country now. Um, people are buying clothing there. You can apparently buy diamond rings. I mean, uh, there's all kinds. <laughs> it's like Costco can be... Uh, Anything to anyone. What's also interesting is even despite the fact that you get savings, it actually attracts a fairly high income and highly educated uh, shopper. And they've been quite precise and quite targeted with where they are launching these stores. How has that kind of helped them out versus where we've seen Costco in market penetration in the United States versus Canada? Yeah, I mean, an analyst was saying that Costco had picked its Canadian locations a little bit better in terms of uh, strategic locations. So I guess it's having access to a large population of people, uh, being able to provide that access through, you know, some sort of uh, um, vehicle-related, you know, transportation uh, accessibility. I don't want to say public transit, but more along the lines of, you know, having lots of parking and being near a highway because, you know, Costco is inherently a suburban type of store, except in downtown Vancouver. I think it's the yeah. only one that's actually in a downtown core for the entire company. So that's kind of neat. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, what's pretty shocking to me is that there are, you know, it's not quite twice per capita the number of Costco stores in Canada versus the United States, but it's getting there. So, uh, you know, there's a pretty high penetration of Costco stores in Canada, which means that, you know, we're spending more, I would say, overall than the Americans are uh, on a chain that's based uh, outside of Seattle. Now, I, I forget if it was 
in reference to Ikea or Costco, but I believe uh, my, my colleague, my boss, uh, Kirk LaPointe, he tweeted out a few weekends ago how uh, parking in a Costco parking lot on a Saturday should be considered an Olympic sport. We, we, we've noticed that uh, it, it just hasn't, the interest just hasn't dissipated here in Canada. It's not just a novelty thing, you know. Do you think that there is room for even more growth, or do you think maybe they've hit the kind of sweet spot here in Canada? Well, believe it or not, I think there's room for more growth. Um, I was doing a little bit of uh, research and a couple of things. Number one, in Calgary, they're actually going to be building the first Costco store on Aboriginal land. So um, kind of like Park Royal South, where, you know, it's technically, uh, uh, you know, Indigenous-owned property. They're going to be opening another one in Calgary. I think it's going to be the fifth location in the Calgary area. I mean, oh, wow. that, that's actually a lot. <laughs> Considering, and here's another thing actually that I think is really interesting is Costco is starting to open these um, business centers. So these are Costco stores that aren't safe for you and me as consumers. They're actually meant safe for someone that owns a large restaurant. So they can go in and, you know, get food related supplies for the restaurant, pans, whatever other cooking utensils they might need. Uh, one of them opened in suburban Toronto in 2017. Another one is going to be opening next spring in Montreal. And they said that they're going to have several of these throughout the country, I think by the end of next year, and that's going to include the Vancouver area. So this is kind of like a Costco for a business owner and not so much, you know, like I said, for a consumer. Well, it's just fascinating. I mean, I, I grew up in a family. There were six of us. So of course, uh, Costco trips were part and parcel of the life. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I don't necessarily need Costco membership right now, but whenever I have a friend or family member that's going, I always, always have to give them like a list of items that I, I want to get from there just because I, I know what I can get. And I don't know, it's just kind of a um, an interesting sort of branding that it's done in the Canadian psyche at this point. I do the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or I go with them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we should say uh, Sobeys, no slouch either in terms of uh, retail here in Canada. You guys mentioned that in the Costco story. And, you know, coincidentally, Sobeys, they've just unveiled their very first smart grocery cart. This is interesting. It's got multiple cameras, uh, a scanner, uh, a scale even, and uh, payment systems. Is this really kind of Sobe's answer to maybe, I don't know, Amazon Go, Craig? I'd say so. Um, this is a pretty exciting development. I didn't honestly know this was coming down the pipeline. So, uh, you know, I was kind of hit with the news like everyone else. So basically, like you said, they've got the shopping cart that... Uh, means that you kind of don't have to interact with the checkout. And I know that one of the annoying things some of us may experience is long lineups, say, at a grocery store, depending where you're located. And this eliminates that. So you put your stuff in the cart. It basically tallies it up for you. Um, somehow the, the procedure, I guess, things are bagged. And you can put them in your vehicle because, you know, this is probably going to be more of an urban experience right now with someone, you know, in the suburbs driving a car. But um, I think this is the beginning of some major retail innovation that we're going to be seeing in the country because what retailers want to do now is, Create, you know, what they call a frictionless experience that makes, uh, uh, you know, the path to purchase for the consumer as easy as possible. So, uh, you know, at some point we might not even have to speak to, you know, employees in a store if we're shopping there uh, for, for better or for worse, I guess. Yeah, for an antisocial person like me, I, I don't mind going to self-checkout whatsoever. I don't mind the idea of doing a uh, smart grocery cart. Um, a lot of people, though, they, they are kind of averse to that idea. What, what do you think it is? It just kind of that human touch still means a big thing to a lot of folks out there? I think so to a degree. I mean, personally, I go grocery shopping, and it is a bit of a social experience, perhaps not that much as it used to, but, uh, uh, you know, interacting with someone at a till is one thing. Also, you know, some may feel guilty that 
they're possibly, you know, taking away employment from someone that, say, would be bringing something through a till. Right. But over the years, I mean, you know, we've seen all kinds of jobs go by the wayside. I mean, when's the last time you went to a bank teller, right? I mean, I remember doing that all the time years and years ago. And uh, uh, the last time I did it, I was, you know, I had to make an appointment to put some shares into a TFSA, but it's certainly not a regular thing. We have, you know, bank machines. So I I think that we're just sort of progressing towards a, a humanless society in terms of customer service in certain segments. And it looks like grocery might be next. Yeah, it's something I, I do feel conflicted about because we also hear about how there are just so many job shortages, uh, especially here in British Columbia. But are, I, these are kind of larger scale sorts of trends that are taking place. So I don't know if this is necessarily solving that job shortage problem so much as, I don't know, it taking away a lot of those certain kinds of jobs that would otherwise be out there for people. Um Speaking of which, kind of a similar thing, though, uh, ghost restaurants. It's an interesting concept that uh, we're detailing uh, in this past week's edition of Business in Vancouver. Uh, A number of high-profile restaurants that are closing their doors in the city amid all these sky-high lease rates. And so we're actually seeing this kind of proliferation of virtual brands that are delivering to people very much how the thing the trend's going right now but they're doing these virtual brands within existing kitchens do you think that this is kind of a sustainable business model craig do you think it's just inevitable this is where a lot of these restaurants and kind of food services are going to be going yeah i think to a point i mean if you look at uh, the cost of leases you know it's tough for some restaurants to make it a go especially you know in some cities like vancouver we've seen these uh tax hikes and you know that often gets passed on to the tenant in this case say a restaurant so um finding a cost savings is really really going to be important for some of these restaurants because if they want to get their food out uh uh, you know a lot of consumers are looking for food delivery so this this could be perfect in that respect Uh, one thing i was thinking about though honestly was if you look at you know the percentage of alcohol sales in a restaurant i mean i'm not sure if alcohol is going to be uh uh, you know, distributed as part of this as well, you know, with a ghost restaurant, if they're sending something to someone's home through Uber Eats or whatever platforms. So, um, you know, and food, I don't think has nearly the same high margins as alcohol. So if a restaurant can, you know, do the numbers and make it a go, it's probably brilliant. But um, it's kind of sad to think that we might see fewer actual, you know, restaurants, because when you go down a lot of uh, streets and neighborhoods now, quite often what you see are not fashion stores, you see restaurants. So are we going to see a whole bunch of vacant space, you know, in our uh, urban streets and cities in years to come? I mean, hopefully not. Yeah, as much as I was saying I'm an antisocial person when it comes to uh, the uh, grocery store, uh, I much prefer going out to a restaurant than having food delivered in. It's just, it's kind of that experience of getting out there. Um, As you said, you can uh, try a a new beer or wine that you wouldn't otherwise uh, be picking up if you're just staying back at home. I I, I think it's kind of an experience that I don't want to really lose here in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to see the death of restaurants. Uh, there's actually one that's going to be opening around, I think it's Cambian 12th, called Quan Jude. And it, they call it a 5D restaurant experience. I think it's opening uh, mid-November. And um, you can actually set the tone in the room. You can be, you know, in busy Hong Kong. You can be under the ocean. Um, you know, there's fish swimming around. It sounds like it's going to be really cool. But uh, I'm thinking that, you know, in a place like restaurants in the future, they're going to be highly experiential. They're going to be places that... You can post on social media and people will ooh and ah. And, uh, you know, so I don't think that the physical experience is dead, be it restaurants or retail. I just think it's going to become a lot more entertaining. So 
Um, you know, maybe we'll have more ghost restaurants out there for certain types of meals, but uh, I think we're still going to have places that people are going to gather and meet. I don't think that's going to die altogether, but uh, at the same time, you know, sometimes rents are really expensive, and uh, I'm assuming that restaurant won't be cheap to eat at either. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's only a couple blocks away from our newsroom, so I, I've got to test it out. I'm very intrigued by this at this point. Um, yeah, Craig, well, why don't we leave it off with this? Uh, they're calling it Mr. Superpuff. This is Aritzia's first foray into menswear. Um, I don't know. Do you think they're having fun here? Do you think they're maybe a little bit more serious than we might suspect about expanding into menswear with this big big puffy jacket? I think they're going to expand into more menswear. Honestly, I talked yeah. to Brian Hill a few months ago. Is, uh, is he the founder? Certainly the CEO of Aritzia. And uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, some, this has been conceptualized for a while. Uh, personally, I looked at the jacket and I thought it looked kind of silly. I mean, you know, it looks like the state puff marshmallow man from Ghostbusters. <laughs> but yeah. um, you know what? That, that thing is going to sell out because a lot of women will buy clothing items for their men, you know, be it uh, husbands, boyfriends, dads, whatever, you know, sons, I suppose. Uh, I think that this is probably going to be a huge hit merely for the fact that Aritzia has a bit of a cult following. And, uh, you know, a lot of menswear sales are done by women buying for men. So this is probably an absolutely brilliant move. And I think we're going to see more little, you know, capsule pieces coming down the pipeline from Aritzia. And Maybe at some point there's going to be a men's department in some of the larger Ritzia stores. I, I really think, you know, and given that menswear has seen faster growth than women's wear, and given Ritzia's brand awareness and popularity, I think that this is the beginning of something much bigger for the brand. Yeah, I just wonder if maybe we can draw maybe a, a very, very loose parallel to another Vancouver-based company, which is Lululemon, which we're seeing a lot of growth there for their dedicated menswear lines, too. That's right. I think they wanted within two years to double their men's business, or it might actually be even more than doubling it. So yeah. um, for sure, again, you know, the menswear business is growing generally in fashion retail faster than women. You know, Lululemon has that whole, uh, uh, you know, ethos around it uh, that a lot of men are attracted to. I mean, you know, there's certainly a lot of health conscious people out there. So uh, again, with Lululemon, I see, I see it succeeding. However, you know, they had some men's only stores that closed, but maybe it just wasn't quite the right I don't know, environment. I mean, I'd been to the one in Toronto. I thought it was actually pretty nice. I wasn't yeah. really buying anything there because I'm not their core customer. But uh, I don't know. I don't think a men's store is, is necessarily a bad idea. But maybe they're going to just, you know, focus on their own existing stores and online for, uh, for men's store. Maybe it's those women buying it for men as well. That would be part of it, too. Well, fingers crossed, Craig, you and I will have more options to get some clothes. So it can't be that bad for us. But uh, hey, as always, I want to thank you for joining me on the program today. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief of RetailInsider.com, as well as the host of Retail Insider's new podcast. And that's it for the show today. Thank you for listening. In the meantime, you can get your friends to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. For now, I'm Tyler Orton, and we'll be back tomorrow. So the VRAR Global Summit, it's going to be hitting Vancouver on October 31st, and then it really kicks into gear November 1st and 2nd, and it's really because the industry is exploding right now, especially in a city like Vancouver. So I'd like to welcome onto the program Dan Berger. He is the president of the Vancouver chapter of the VRAR Association. Dan, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me, Tyler. 
Okay, so maybe before we get into the nitty-gritty of all the the Global Summit, which is a a real big deal, I I want you to maybe break it down for our listeners. Why is it that Vancouver is kind of a special ecosystem right now when it comes to this industry? Yeah, uh, what's happening uh, kind of right now within the Vancouver and BC ecosystem is uh, a momentum that we haven't seen uh, in a while, you know, uh, we're seeing this huge growth uh, within the sector, o- over about 230 companies working in the space. Uh, when Probably when we first chatted back in like 2015, uh, there was, you know, maybe a handful of companies, 15 to 20. And uh, we've seen a huge growth within the sector uh, over the last uh, few years, and it's only uh, growing uh, by the day. So is it because the technology is catching up or that companies are recognizing some of the use cases for it? Or is it just a confluence of different events that are making it just so busy right now in this industry? Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what's happened is uh, the, you know, the Vancouver and BC ecosystem for years has had a very strong uh, VFX animation gaming industry. And then uh, that kind of um, spilling into the tech side of things. Uh, and, you know, our robust uh, industry on that side, it has turned into a massive uh, opportunity for VR, AR in our backyard. And that's that's been the foundation of uh, why it's been so prevalent. And now we're seeing more, um, you know, enterprise use cases uh, using this technology. So we're seeing uh, oil and gas, we're seeing uh, mining, we're seeing a ton of training applications uh, here uh, with companies like Lamazoo and Finger Food really leading the way. And, um, you know, we're, we're now starting to see uh, VR and AR touch almost every industry. And I think that that's really where uh, a lot of folks are a bit surprised because, uh, you know, a lot of them thought it was more of a gaming or entertainment device. But Right at the moment, it's um, mostly an enterprise and training uh, device that, uh, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll see uh, more of a growth where um, it'll be a part of our everyday lives. Yeah, and that's kind of like a, a fascinating dichotomy about what's going on here. I guess the perception versus the reality of it and how it's going to be a successful industry, especially with those enterprise uses. And so maybe we can get into the mm-hmm. summits, you know, if somebody's dropping in uh, beginning uh, later on, uh, why don't you tell them what can they expect from an event like this? Uh, well, you can expe- expect kind of almost everything. Uh, so there's going to be a ton of different uh, use cases uh, from obviously the enterprise side. There's going to be a lot of uh, gaming applications there. Um, entertainment. There's going to be um, artwork. So folks who are using VR and AR as a subversive uh, message to, uh, you know, showcase uh, AR, um, you know, uh, with speakers like Nancy Baker Hill um, and um, a few others kind of within that realm. So it, it kind of, we, we wanted to give, um, you know, folks within almost every different facet, uh, that ability to, you know, be able to kind of understand this technology and how it's going to fit. And really, uh, you know, we're telling folks that, uh, you know, you need to start paying attention to this technology now, or it'll pass you by, right? Like, uh, we look at uh, Microsoft back in the mobile days, uh, they kind of, um, you know, slept on this technology, on uh, the mobile uh, kind of bandwagon. And, uh, you know, there were uh, people with the likes of, uh, you know, 
uh, Apple and uh, companies like that uh, kind of overtaking that industry. So, um, you know, it, it's a great position right now to kind of understand, um, you know, how you can fit, how, how your business can really, um, you know, use this technology and use it uh, now before, you know, it really starts uh, picking up. Well, and that's the other thing that I'm also fascinated by is the, the fact that if you look at Vancouver, it is like a strong mix of a lot of, uh, say, early stage companies, smaller businesses, yeah. as well as like larger companies that are looking at possible applications for this within their company. Is that kind of one of the attributes that's really strengthening uh, what's going on in the ecosystem here in Vancouver? Yeah, and uh, that's exactly kind of you know, been our focus at the Vancouver VR AR Association is not only to focus on the startups and the companies that are building this technology, it's uh, it's about really educating and evangelizing this technology to uh, enterprises and companies who can really uh, use this technology as a practical use to either make things more efficient um, on, in some cases, uh, you know, save lives, um, or, um, you know, just um, make things, um, you know, uh, you know, cut down on time efficiencies and, and costs of, um, you know, delivering uh, this technology to their, uh, their businesses. So I, I think um, really, it's just uh, really kind of uh, telling those stories. So, um, you know, with what we're doing here in Vancouver, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, talking within our own VR, AR or technology startup ecosystem. It's about, uh, you know, uh, being able to tell that story to, you know, the average Joe Blow. So uh, we found that uh, is very vital to kind of move this technology along. And I, I think uh, conferences like the VR, AR Global Summit will really hit that home because uh, it, we're not just focused on our industry. We're focused on really showcasing this uh, technology to um, folks who might not necessarily understand where it fits yet. So not only showcasing the technology uh, to people that are maybe a little bit new to it, but maybe showcasing Vancouver as kind of a growing mm -hmm. ecosystem. You're, you're drawing a lot of people in from all over the world. Do you think that this is kind of really a good opportunity to show off what's going on in Vancouver? Absolutely. And um, the message has been around, you know, how Vancouver has grown to the second largest ecosystem for VR and AR in the world. And, um, you know, we've been actually doing a lot of programming abroad to really kind of spread that message and tell that story. And uh, now folks will be able to actually see it firsthand in Vancouver and BC and uh, kind of kind of um, understanding you know, why, why is it such, uh, an, uh, you know, like this ecosystem that's uh, gaining a ton of momentum and, you know, what's happening here. And um, I think a lot of folks were kind of surprised at first because, um, you know, Vancouver, you know, has been known as a pretty, pretty uh, prevalent, prevalent, uh, you know, like technology ecosystem. But I think, um, you know, on the VR AR side, it, kind of took a lot of folks uh, globally off uh, off their guard. They're just like, wow, uh, we had no clue Vancouver had such a strong ecosystem there. And and now, um, you know, we're, we've been really kind of spreading the message and now they're, they're starting to see, okay, this, this makes a ton of sense now. 
Yeah, well, I understand you just got back from a trip from uh, Germany where you're showcasing what was going on in Vancouver. What is kind of the response just as you're uh, looking at what you know, people are thinking outside of this country with regards to kind of the opportunities that exist here in Vancouver, as well as just kind of the innovations yeah. that are coming out? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks from outside of the country look at Canada and Vancouver as, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the story uh, when it comes to VR and AR. They, they look at it as the ecosystem to look up to. And, you know, they, they really see, you know, some of the learnings and some of the, um, you know, value adds, uh, you know, have, on how they can kind of take this back to their own communities and really, um, grow their uh, ecosystems. I, I think within uh, VR and AR right now, we need to build that collaboration. So um, Vancouver and BC, we look at, um, you know, trying to push this technology along and, um, you know, really helping other communities along and then also building that, uh, that collaboration uh, piece as well. Cause um, you know, we need to really, we we do need to really collaborate. Uh, we need to not hold our cards closer to chest, and we need to really kind of, um, you know, work together in in bringing this technology to that next level. Well, Dan, if somebody wants to find out more information about what's going on uh, with the regards to the VR AR Global Summits, uh, where should they go? Yep. Uh, so the website for the Global Summit is vrarglobalsummit.com. And uh, you can find all the information there. Um, you know, I think we only have about a week left. So uh, I would suggest uh, getting your tickets now. Um, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to email me at uh, dan at the T-H-E-V-R-A-R-A.com. Excellent. Dan, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Appreciate it. That's Dan Berger, president of the Vancouver chapter of the VRAR Association. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Craig Patterson from RetailInsider.com. 